Well, good morning again. Praise the Lord that we have a new day to experience. And my prayer is that your week has been not only restful, but you've uh, found just new uh, energy and new insight and new motivation in your walk with Jesus Christ. This morning, we will pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 13. And as you recall, uh, back uh, the last portion of scripture we went on before uh, Resurrection Sunday, Paul had just called out Bar Jesus, uh, the you know that magician, the one who would use that that form of magic as a deception to try to deliberately persuade the proconsul away from the truth of the gospel. Um, we also saw how the proconsul witnessed the consequences of Bar Jesus and him becoming blind for uh, a season in time because of his direct disobedience. And this, uh, these consequences that this magician faced was uh, pointed in the right direction for the proconsul to literally hear the teaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. He Something clicked in the mind and the heart of that uh, government official, and we found out later on how that man had been saved. Now we will pick up in verse 13 of Acts chapter 13, and we will see Paul and Barnabas continue on their missionary journey and the things that they uh, will get into. So let's go ahead and uh, pray real quick, and I'll go ahead and uh, read the text, and we'll get into this morning's message. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you again just for the opportunity to come before you, Lord. I pray that you would humble our hearts, Lord. May we bow our hearts before you, Lord. May your will be done. May you uh, speak through your word, Lord. Uh, make make aware our spirits to the truth that you're trying to uh, show us this morning, Lord, is we look to you for counsel. We look to you for guidance. We look to you for direction. We need your wisdom and your strength. May you empty us of ourselves and fill us fresh with the Holy Spirit. Allow us to not only intake what we learned this morning, but help us to one, apply it to our own lives and two, to share this good news with those around us. So again, Father, we give you the utmost praise and honor and glory uh, we thank you, we love you, and uh, we thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I've entitled this message, All Scripture Points to Christ, or Points to Jesus Christ. And, and that's exactly what we are going to see in this portion of Scripture. In all Scripture that you read, you're going to find that all Scripture points to Christ. But this is a great example of how the servant of God was used to share the truth of the gospel in a relatable way to his audience. So let's go ahead and pick up in Acts chapter 13, and we will read this morning from verses 13 through 25. And I'll go ahead and begin now. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Pergia, in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Pergia and came to Antioch in Poseidon. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. 
After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm led them out of it. And for about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he got them their land as an inheritance. All this took about four hundred and fifty years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God had brought it to Israel a savior, excuse me, a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. And so we see here in these verses just a clear picture, a clear description of all throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament of how everything points to Christ. So I just kind of want us to to, to look at this and, and really grasp the gravity of what Paul was saying here to those in the synagogue at this time. And there are several main points that are in this portion of Scripture. So I just want to quickly go over those, and then we'll get into the text in a, a more depth way. The first one is, the sovereign Lord is always in full control, and he will use different people how he sees fit at any given point. You see, the message of the cross still went forth, but messengers, the messengers who were used... At this time, it shifted in some senses. John Mark, he didn't make the trip, and the leadership role seemed to switch between Paul and Barnabas. Nowadays, I've heard it many times been, been called the, the ministry shift, meaning many times the people that we set out with in ministry sometimes change along the way. Whether they leave or others come in or roles change, the main point is that Jesus Christ is still being preached and shared. That is the main point. That is the main focus. The second main point I'd like to look at this morning is we must be ready in and out of season to share about Jesus Christ. We will notice again here, Paul and Barnabas, they came to visit a new synagogue and they were given the opportunity to speak and share the truth for us today, every day. There will be opportunities for us to share the truth. The thing is, 
Are we aware of these opportunities as they present themselves? And the third main point, as I've already focused on, and, and really the, the main main point, is ultimately, again, all scripture and all roads from prophets, judges, and kings lead to Jesus Christ. That is the main focal point of the Bible. Jesus Christ fulfills the messianic promise of salvation, not only for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. And along those lines, we, we can actively be witnesses by relating to people where they are at and then sharing the truth of who Jesus Christ is. You see, Jesus was a master at this, at meeting people where they were at and then revealing his truth to them. Remember uh, the Samaritan woman at the well and how he asked her for a drink. And from that little conversation sparked the truth of who he was and how this woman desperately needed salvation. And we'll see in this passage that Paul uses a page out of Jesus's book and he did a great job of relating to these uh, people in the synagogue that he spoke with, which led him to be able to have an opportunity to share the message of the gospel to these men. All right, let's go ahead and go back and let's look at verse 13 and, and begin to unpack these verses. I'll read it again. And it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Pergia or Perga, if you want to say it that way, in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. The first thing to point out here is that there's been a shift in leadership. And we know this because if you go back to Acts chapter 13, verse 7, just a few verses back, this missionary group was described as Barnabas and Saul's. Not that Barnabas had, uh, you know, it was named his group, but that Barnabas was the prominent figure to speak at the time. But now we see it stated, now Paul and his companions. From this point on, Paul would be used as the prominent servant leader for the Lord's own reasons, which which it doesn't specify here. He, use, he uses certain people for specific jobs in certain seasons. It's not that Barnabas was less than Paul. The Lord simply had a specific work for Paul from here on out. And actually, if we trace this back, we know on the Damascus Road shortly after, you know, it was it was it was made clear that that Paul was going to be set apart for a special service for the Lord and he would suffer much, but he would be used in a great way. And so we see all of this uh, not only transforming, but panning out here in the text now, this morning and even earlier. But now it's becoming more prominent because, again, from here on out, Paul would be that specific voice for the Lord. They eventually left Paphos, which is the island of Cyprus, and they sailed to uh, Perga, which is modern-day Turkey. This is where they went and and this is where they continued their missionary journey preaching excuse me preaching and teaching the gospel next in this one verse we see that John Mark cuz there was another companion with them mentioned here in the text and it says that John Mark didn't join Paul and Barnabas on this trip now we don't know why John Mark didn't join them and instead he went home to Jerusalem there is much speculation about why he left and honestly, my heart is rather than focusing on the many unknown reasons why John Mark left, I, I feel our time is better spent looking at what we do know about this situation. And so 
the application is simply this. We know that the Lord is always in control and that nothing catches him off guard. We also know that the Lord God is the potter and we are the clay. You can read Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 4, and, and it'll tell you all about that. Many of us know the, 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 the illustration of the potter and the clay. He has the right to rework the vessel into another vessel for whatever reason or whatever work seems good to him. Speaking of the Lord, we see this clearly not only with Barnabas and their roles, uh, him and Paul's roles switching, but also with John Mark exiting this missionary trip. Because we do know that John Mark was still used by the Lord in a great way, just in a different location and in different circumstances. Again, you can read about this and and, and John Mark's exploits in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. What is known as the ministry shift. Sometimes those we set out with are not those that we will end up with. And the reality is, honestly, that's okay. It's not as if these individuals fell away from the faith. And, and, and now if you're talking about that, that's a whole other subject that, that we're not going to you know uh, cover today. But we're talking about those in the faith, those in the body of Christ that we have served alongside for a season of time. And for whatever reason, they are no longer serving alongside of us or we are no longer serving alongside of them. But we are all still in Christ as true believers. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. You see, but it's a great reminder that the only one constant thing in our lives is the Lord himself. You see, no matter what happens in your life and my life, don't ever lose sight of who Jesus Christ is on the throne of your heart, regardless of who stays or who goes. You see, sometimes we can labor alongside others for a long time or for a specific season in our life that was very trying or, 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 or what have you, and we end up growing strong, deep relationships with them. And, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes, you see, you and I can actually become dependent upon these relationships with people that we serve with rather than God. And then we become frantic or even lost when they move on, when they leave the ministry or they, they're moved on to another work for the Lord. But in all actuality, the Lord simply has other plans for them. And a great example of this that we've gone through here at Resilient Life Church is, is uh, you know, Pastor Nick moving on and, and, and our worship former worship leader, Christian, you know, moving down south and um you know, I actually spoke with uh, Pastor Nick this past week and and it was great. I mean, you know, I hadn't talked to him for a while and he was just on my heart. I was like, man, I've been busy. And, even, you know, you would think, you know, uh, during this shelter in place, man, you got all the time in the world. But, you know, with the wife and a four four year old and, 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 a, and a five month old, it's like it's hard to get breaks, you know, when you're you're with people all day long. And so um, long story short, I just, you know, he was on my heart a couple Sundays ago and I reached out to him and. I mean, it was just great to to hear from him. It was great to catch up and just, you know, hey, man, what what's the Lord been doing in your life and, and how are you holding up and what are the things going on? And, and it, it's like, I, I love him. You know, I love that brother. I miss him. And so um, I, to me, that speaks to me personally of 
you know, a, a real life example of those in the faith that for, you know, what the Lord is calling them to do is just another work, but we are all, all still together as one body. And, and I, I pray that is uh, understood and in, 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 in a heartfelt way here, because this is scriptural, what we see. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to uh, verses 14 and 15. And it says, But they went from Perga and came to Antioch in Poseidon. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, just the geographical, because sometimes there are certain places that are named the same, and we have to understand the difference between the two. Now, this Antioch in Poseidon was different from the city of Antioch in Syria. This Antioch they're speaking about here, it didn't have a thriving church established yet, but it did have a huge Jewish population and was a hub for trade. It was a great place for the gospel to be spread. Next, we see that uh Paul and Barnabas went to the Sabbath uh went to the synagogue excuse me on the Sabbath day there was a general order of how these services would usually go um the first thing is someone would open up in prayer after that the shema was recited this is Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 and they actually would recite this throughout the day certain prayers were then lifted up and then there was a reading of the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy. It was customary for the leading rabbi or rabbis to invite visiting rabbis to their synagogues. So this was a common thing to, you know, as, as we typically do nowadays, inviting people to a church service at your home fellowship. So, but the difference thing, but the different thing here is, if there happened to be an educated person in the law present that they invited, they were invited to come up or stand up and speak on subjects relating to the reading that was uh, the subject matter of that service at that particular time. And Paul and Barnabas's reputation must have preceded them because these synagogue leaders recognized that they were educated and most likely had heard about all the amazing things that the Lord had been doing through them in the known regions of the world. So they had an open door, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, to share the good news when they first visited any synagogue, because this was a customary thing. So the application, what does this mean for us today? Because uh, many of us are not Jews and we're not in a synagogue but we're here as followers of Christ and we attend church services. Well, the application is this, wherever the Lord leads you, wherever he leads you on whatever path he has for you, he will also open up opportunities for you to be used to share about Jesus Christ. You see, you can never be led by the Lord into any situation where he won't want you to speak up about the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. Example, on your job, when you were at your job, before the shelter in place, at home within your, your, your core family, um, passing people on the streets, giving someone a call, uh, giving someone a text, basically any kind of human interaction is an opportunity to share the gospel. And 
I just want to share on a side note, I'm, I'm so encouraged by uh, the small groups within this church. Um, the men, we still meet regular, regularly on Thursday nights, and, and I'm just I'm just blessed to when I check in with men and I, I get to hear men talking about, you know, we're, 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 we're as a family, we're eating at the table and and we're going through the word together. And, um, you know, even with all this shelter in place, people are finding opportunities and ways to to reach out to extended family members and, and share the gospel and and and, and have uh, times of prayer with one another. And uh, even within my own family, you know, things that we're setting up that, you know, we're, 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 we're drawing closer to the Lord as a family. And so uh, even with the shelter in place, there's so much opportunity to share the gospel. And it's des- it desperately needed because people are seeking and, and hungry. Uh, you know, the, the Bible app, that that app, um, they, they're saying that there's since the, the shelter in place or the coronavirus, there's just been a spike and there's an increase of people flooding, um, you know, their, their website and, and their app, downloading their app, searching for God, trying to find out about more about who Jesus Christ is. And that's a beautiful thing. We see out of, you know, the, the wretchedness of life, we still see that the Lord will use that in a beautiful way to save souls and bring himself glory. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and continue on. And this is when Paul is going to begin to preach his message in the synagogue, starting in verse 16. And it says, So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands said, Men of Israel, do, and excuse me, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And this is a mouthful here. There is just so much truth in this. I just want to start at the very beginning. And it says, as Paul stood up and he motioned with his hands, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So we see clearly that this this message, he is trying to get this truth through to the men of the nation of Israel and those who fear God. And he's telling them to listen. Well, what, what does it mean to fear God? Does it mean you're afraid you're going to get whooped and get hit? Like, you know, when someone's, you know, uh, bracing themselves for a punch like a boxer? Uh, No, that's not that. It's to have a reverent respect. It's to have, uh, you know, just this, this true understanding of who God is, that you have a reverence for him. And that is what he's speaking of. And the question for us today is, do we still fear God? Do we have a reverent respect for him? Do we have a reverent fear of him to understand I need to allow God to govern my life because it's for my benefit? Or does my reverence for him 
stop, start and end when I enter a, a church building and, and, and it's no longer a part of my life once I leave the parking lot. You see, we need to have a lifestyle of a reverent respect and a reverent fear for the Lord. And in that, being led by the Holy Spirit, we will begin to understand all the benefits that there are in learning and knowing and understanding about God and, and His truth and what this means to us and for us in our lives. You see, Paul's message to the Jews here started with an emphasis on God's covenant with Israel. And a covenant is a promise, is a promise, and it's a promise that was instituted by God. So it cannot be taken back or it can't be reneged on because God is the one who initiated it. It's simply just like the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't start that relationship. God instituted that relationship with them. And so for all people, that, that is why there are certain things that God will not take away because it is part of his covenant promise to us. You see, this was a point of agreement. This was a common ground that they could all relate to because the Jewish men of this day understood the law. They understood the covenant and what the promise was for them to go into the promised land. All of those things were, were things that were a common thing between Paul and them. And so this was a great starting point for Paul to emphasize his message. The application for us this morning is when we, when we witness to others, it's a good idea for us to kind of get our, our to know our audience a, a, a little bit. You know, um, I mean, unless the Lord calls you to stand on a milk crate, you know, on the corner of, of, of a, you know, an intersection and yell out that yeah, you're going to hell if you don't know Jesus, then, hey, if that's what the Lord's calling you to do, then that's what the Lord's calling you to do. But honestly, you know, there's more tact, I believe, that's involved in this. And, and this is what Paul was doing. He was he was you know, uh, relating to his listener, gaining their attention, gaining their trust, and then being able to share the truth of what is going on of, in Jesus Christ. Try to understand where they're coming from. Even for you and I to share that we're not perfect. Obviously, we know that we're not perfect people, but this is actually a great way to find common ground because nobody likes a know-it-all. Nobody likes someone who's pious and thinks their stuff doesn't stink. Nobody likes someone who is going to be putting themselves on a pedestal, spiritually speaking, and looking down on everybody else and saying, you, you sinner, you this, you that. You know, it's like the whole thing of uh, 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 of the, the, the plank in my eye and the speck in my brother's. We don't want to be like that. We want to deal with our own selves and recognize that we are on a level ground and equal ground with everyone else. The, the the cross levels everybody out. At the foot of the cross, we are all equal. We are all the same. We're all wretched sinners deserving of God's wrath, but we are given the opportunity to receive his grace. Amen. The Bible is clear, again, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all share in the imperfection of sin, and that honestly that understanding that we all share in the imperfection of sin, that can honestly open up the door for you and I to witness and share the life-saving power of Jesus Christ with others. As we see in this message, Paul basically showed from the beginning, we're moving on, he showed that there was a common thread from the Old Testament and how all scripture points to Jesus Christ. You see from from Noah to Moses in Egypt to Joshua and Canaan to the judges that they received to then Samuel the prophet 
to then Saul, the first king of Israel, and then King David, we see that it was prophesied through the line of David, the Savior will be born. All throughout all these different situations and different seasons in life that stretched for many, many years, Christ was the theme, the coming Messiah, and what he would restore to the nation of Israel, and ultimately to whoever would receive him as Savior and then Lord. Side note, if you haven't already, you should take the time to study out the genealogy and the family tree of Jesus Christ, because it's so encouraging as a reminder that God uses everyday people who are far from perfect to accomplish his work. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing to know that Wow, Rahab was 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 part of the line of Jesus and and you know and and Solomon and all the things that you know that you know went on in his life but the, all of these people these many people that were in the line of Jesus Christ he comes from this line of people and so it's just uh, such an encouragement to to me to understand this As Paul was explaining he was showing how Jesus Christ would fulfill the covenant. You see, many of the Jews in this day found it hard to swallow, and many Jews today still find it very hard to swallow. Many wanted their good works to justify them before God, and they also thought that they would be serving a military king, someone who would come in might and strength, who would literally destroy the Roman Empire because they were under oppression. That is the understanding of what they thought the Messiah was going to be. Not a servant king riding in humbly on a donkey. Someone that would not lift themselves off the cross. Someone that would not allow themselves to be spat upon and, 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 and mocked in, in, in such a degrading way as was happening to Jesus. They didn't think that their Messiah was going to be like that. They called it weakness, but we know the Bible calls that meekness, power under control for a greater purpose. And that greater purpose was to become that sin offering to save mankind from their sins. That is what Jesus did. That is what Jesus did. And they, they unfortunately did not understand that. They didn't understand it. The application for us today is, the main point here is that Israel's history proves that God has a divine plan worked out through the ages. Jesus Christ is the goal of history to redeem the world. We need to have a sense of this and a deep understanding and a connection to this plan. Because ultimately, if you call Jesus Christ your Savior this morning, you play an intricate role in this plan. You see, if we are in Christ Jesus, then we are in his great plan of redemption, meaning we can be used to share the truth of that redemptive plan with others and, and possibly be those that can be used to speak into others' lives when there was no one else available. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, tell us this clearly about who we are in Christ. It says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What an amazing revelation right there. What an amazing truth to hold on to. Do you, do you hear that? 
that you are hidden with Christ in God. That's like nobody can touch you, maybe physically, but your soul, your countenance, your, 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 your encouragement, your confidence, you and I are hidden with Christ in God. And no time more than ever in human history, people are looking for a safe place. People are looking for a safe place. No better place to be hidden in than within Christ in God. Amen. All right. Last two verses here. Verse 24. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? Am I not he? No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whom of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Lastly, in this portion of scripture, we see John the Baptist pointing to Jesus Christ as the coming Messiah. Now, just a little bit of quick background on John the Baptist. We know that he was a miracle baby in his own right. Zechariah, his father, and Elizabeth, uh, his mother, they, they weren't able to conceive, and they were uh, they were up in years, and, and this had gone on for a long time. But one day, as Zechariah was in the temple, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and revealed that his wife would bear him a son. And there was specific instructions that the angel of the Lord gave to Zechariah uh, regarding his son. And so John the Baptist was set apart for a special service of the Lord. And that was that special service was to usher in the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, John knew that Jesus was greater than all the others. He knew that Jesus Christ was far more than just a, a teacher or a sage. He knew that he was the Messiah. The statement, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie, shows that John knew Jesus was above him. We have to un understand the cultural relevance of this statement to, to, to know, to, to see the truth in it, actually. And so in that day, it was common for, you know, well-known teachers to have disciples following them. That, uh, you know, it, it, Jesus was not the only teacher that had people following him, but he was the greatest teacher that had disciples following him. It was expected that these disciples would serve their teacher in various kind of ways. And somehow, somewhere along the lines, this arrangement began to become abused, so to speak, because some of these leading rabbis would establish that these disciples would unstrap the sandals of their teachers somewhere they instituted that like if you're following so-and-so you're gonna unstrap his uh sandals as a sign of your loyalty as a sign of your reverence to this teacher so this is where we get the statement's or, uh, origins and the meaning from it and the application for us this morning is simply this as we are used by the lord and our influence upon others grow. We must stay grounded in the truth. It is the Holy Spirit working through you and I, and not our own strength, wisdom, intellect, cunning, 
whatever it's not it's not it's not any of that it's what the holy spirit it is what god almighty is doing through us not us you see we can come to places where we begin to boast we begin to think wow i i did i did do that or 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 even boast about how we were used like oh i was used to do this and that and and that's a very dangerous place to be because we need to take the role of a humble servant not a prideful one amen the reality is we aren't even worthy of being used to share the gospel, but it is because of God the Father. It's because what he deems us, he deems us worthy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'd like to share this verse quickly before we end, and it's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You notice, who is the chief cornerstone? Who is the rock of ages? It is Christ alone. And and I learned this this week that stones are pieces of, of a rock and we are living stones we are pieces of the rock of Jesus Christ and see so however we are used for the glory of God we need to always defer that uh you know those responses from people of how maybe we 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 did something nice and they're just so happy or you know you 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 shared a message and people thought it was well and that and that's good you know but it is to always defer that praise and that honor back to the Lord himself, back to Jesus Christ. You see, in this regard, we are just like John the Baptist, used by the Lord if we allow him to. We need to be humble, humble servants with a sober view of who we are, of who he is in all his glory, and who we are in him. You see, Sometimes we get it twisted and, and we we pl- we think we're humble, but we don't we, we don't really realize that we're just beating ourselves up. That's the other side of it too. We have to understand that yes, we are not worthy of serving the Lord, but because of what He did for us, and now that we are in Him in Christ, we are counted worthy because of the righteousness of Christ. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you give us the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that this righteousness is not something that we have to earn, for we could never earn it. Thank you it's not something that we can pay for, for we could never pay for it. Thank you it's not something that we could work for, for we could never work hard or long enough to receive it. But it is a free gift It cost you everything, but you were the only one worthy to pay that cost. So thank you that you provided a plan of redemption for the souls of mankind. Now, Father, I ask that any of us that have not received the glorious gift of salvation would fall upon our faces now and humbly receive it, understanding that there is nothing more important than than handling this decision and, and, and deciding once and for all, I have received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. 
And for those of us that have already received this glorious gift of salvation, I pray that you would help us to not grow weary. Help us to to seek you daily. Lord, help us to have a deep reverence and a deep fear for you, understanding that our lives should follow a certain order and a certain pattern. It's not about being regimented, but it is about having restraint. It is about allowing you to be in full control, allowing your Holy Spirit to reign free in our lives and have you to order our day, you to structure the things that we do and how we do it. Help us to get a better, deeper sense of what you want to do in our midst today. Father, I pray for our city. I pray for our county. I pray for our state. I pray for our country. I pray for those around the world, Lord, that you would deeply, seriously reach people. And I know you are, Father, as you have revealed it through this pandemic, Lord, you are doing mighty things. Many are coming to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and we praise you for that. We praise you even in the storm, despite the hardships of life. Father, we will not deny that you are the true and living God, and we are grateful for your love and for your enduring mercy and the grace that we know we don't deserve either. So Father, thank you. May you be glorified. May you speak and work through the lives of your people. Father, we cannot wait to reunite with you and be with you forever and eternity. Until then, Father, give us the strength to continue to stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you and we praise you. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's mighty name that we pray. Amen.